all five of those DVDs to have for your library. If you'll lift your hand, kind of let me know. Uh, one, okay, make up. You, you waiting for help? Oh, you're, 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 okay, there's two. I think we probably should do CD. I'm sorry, Pastor Ron. What was that? CD, you'd like to have a set of the CD for your, uh, okay, there's a, there's a few more. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Austin and get with him on that. A special thank you to the sound and light crew. I noticed there's some new lights in the building. Thank you, Austin and guys, for setting that up. And thank Courtney for cleaning up your mess. I came yesterday. I go, what in the world happened to the sanctuary? It looked like it snowed over here. And I wouldn't, if not for your mess, I would not have noticed the, uh, the addition. But uh, be sure your sins will find you out. But uh, the guys are always upgrading, perfecting, just getting better and better. And we say thank you for that. And uh, this Wednesday, I will be in Minneapolis, uh, a church that I've been a part of for almost 30, actually, actually over 30 years. I've watched them grow from less than 100 to almost 2,000. And they are bringing me in just to do the Eagle message. And I'm excited about that. I'll fly into Minneapolis, and then I'll fly out of Minneapolis to Fargo, is it North Dakota? Fargo, North Dakota, and be a part of a ministry that has revival all summer long and hosts some of the greatest ministries literally in the nation. There was a cancellation. This is the second time this has happened. There was a cancellation, and so they've asked me to come and fill in. And so we're going to go be a part of that. Then I'll return and enjoy all the things that God is doing. I understand it's going to be 99 degrees Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, so we thank God for the cool air, the beautiful day this morning. Luke 11 and 2, the opening night of youth camp, the, uh, the, the team asked me to bring the first word, and uh, I've been involved in their youth camps now for 28 years and uh, at times have done the first session. It's always fun to minister to them because usually when I go in that direction, it's always something brand new. And the Lord did give me, through study and research and prayer, the Lord give, did give me a brand-new word just for them. And uh, I took the title of the message from the title of a book written by Mark Rutland that's entitled 21 Seconds That Will Change Your Life, Change the Life of Others Around You, and Literally Change the World. 21 Seconds That Will Change the World. And I shared with the youth that if you read uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And Pastor Todd, it's not really the Lord's Prayer, it's our prayer. And I don't know why that title got on it, but that prayer is prayed at uh, many weddings, many funerals, many public places. Uh, the secular world knows most of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it simply says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, the glory, and the honor forever. It took 21 seconds to quote that or read that. But as you begin to tear into that prayer, and you begin to see how what outlines in the prayer, it's an awesome way not just to touch God, but to stay in that touch. And what happened in Luke, the 11th chapter, when uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, said, Master, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. You remember in that season of uh, the Lord's life, John was an evangelist that was attracting thousands. He was an evangelist that was preparing the way of the Lord, told it like it was, straight to the point, uh, talked about a real heaven, talked about a real hell, talked about 
hypocrisy, talked about revival, and uh, the, the disciples of John learned to prayer. In research, Pastor Todd, the prayer that uh, he probably taught them was Psalms 23. And by changing one or two words, Pastor Connie, you turn it into not the Lord is my shepherd, but Lord, you are my shepherd. And so if this is the prayer they prayed, it was a prayer of completion. And Joanne, it was a prayer of excellence because as you research the prayer, and I'll research the prayer for you if I may, when you pray the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we realize that we do not want for rest because he leadeth us into green pastures. We shall not want for refreshment, for he leadeth beside still waters. We shall not want for restoration, because he restoreth my soul. We shall not want for direction, for he leadeth me in the path of wickedness for his name's sake. We shall not want for companionship, for yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We shall not want for comfort, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We shall not want for sustenance, for thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We shall not want for abundance, for my cup runneth over. We shall not want for anointing, for he anointeth my soul. We shall not want for anything in this life, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we shall not want for anything in that life which is to come, for we will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. What a powerful, phenomenal, incredible prayer that the disciples of John prayed. And every area of your life there, all the way from birth to death to resurrection to heaven, everything there is contained in that short passage of Scripture. And if you have not memorized Psalms 23, I recommend that would be one of your forte, one of your, one of your words that you, you would get in your heart because it applies to so many areas of your life. So John taught the disciples a great thing. You've got to remember that three of John's disciples left John and went to follow Jesus. And so when the disciples said, teach us to pray the way that John taught his disciples, uh, these disciples knew that prayer, knew the purpose and the direction and the provision of that prayer. And again, I believe prayer is our most powerful weapon that God has given us to change things in our life. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall repent and turn from the wicked way, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. As we watched the past couple of days, uh, not just in Orlando, I think we today was one year marking the death of the four soldiers in Chattanooga. As we look at the tragedy of Paris and we look at the tragedy of Turkey, Jesus said that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The Middle East is so, is so devastating right now and threatening right now that Christians are being murdered. They're being run out of their homes. They've been run into the desert where concentration camps, or not concentration camps, but preparation camps have been set up for them. And while we sit here and enjoy a latte and a beautiful building and family and friends and all of that, there are parts of the world today that are dying for their testimony. And the Bible said all these things would take place and then the end would come, and the Lord would return. And we personally believe, other than a, a, one, a, a revival that will touch the world, we believe that every prophecy has been fulfilled to usher in the presence of God, this sudden coming when he appears in the heavens, and we rise up to meet him in the air. And we have certainly talked about that a lot. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the first two lines of this prayer. This says, Our Father, which art in heaven... 
hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. When I think about the word our, I think about the word possession. And I am pleased to tell you this morning that you have been adopted. And by law, an adopted child has more rights than a birth child. By, by law and by God's law, you have been adopted into the family of God that were called brothers and sisters of Christ, joint heirs with Christ Jesus, that God is our Father, and we have the right, we have the privilege, we have the awesome uh, ability to declare our. And something happens when you pray together, and I've said this and I'll say it again this morning, but three things happen when you begin to pray together. First of all, the person you, in, when you begin to pray with a person, you establish intimacy between you and that person that you're praying with. When you begin to pray for someone, you establish intimacy with that person you're praying for. And when you begin to to pray to the Lord, you begin to enter into a covenant or into intimacy with him. How powerful that is that when we pray, those three dynamics are involved. And a lot of people don't realize the power of prayer. We talked with you several weeks ago about prophetic prayer, prophetic praise. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. I, Gene, am thanking God today for people who are not yet saved. They're not yet free. They're not yet delivered. But I believe they're going to be. And I thank God I, I see them. There are some I see in my spirit in these altars with their hands lifted, with tears flowing down their face. And right now they're doing drugs and alcohol. They, they don't even know that I'm praying for them, except every once in a while the Spirit of God will nudge them and let them know that somebody cares about them, somebody loves them, and somebody is praying for them. So how powerful for you and I to be able to pray together because miracles take place when two or three are gathered in his name. The first miracle, it brings God to where he is, to where we are. God comes down. We don't go up. God comes down. And the words of our prayers, the words of our praise ascend into heaven, get the attention of God. God leans his ear. God looks at the Holy Spirit. God talks to Jesus, trying to form some kind of plan, how they can bless us and how they can help us and how they can restore us. Does that excite anybody in the building today that heaven is taking notes? Pastor Ron has said heaven is taking a snapshot. And right now, heaven has looked down upon us, and, and, and the Lord is walking the aisles of this building. He knows everything we need. If you're having financial troubles, he's a Jehovah Jireh. If you're sick, he is Jehovah Rapha. In every area of your life, God is here to, to meet and to move the needs that you have. What a powerful, powerful prayer to say, our Father. And when you talk about Father, you talk about inheritance, you talk about royalty, you talk about all that God, all that God is, we are. All that God has, we have. He has shared it with us. He's held nothing back. And that is a miracle in itself to be in partner with the King of glory, with all of heaven. And we are in covenant with that. Does that excite anybody else in the house this morning besides me and Pastor Rhonda? When it says, our Father, who art in heaven, we have been promising you that we would uh, start talking in this session a little bit about heaven. And as I begin to peruse and as I begin to go through notes and go through books and read everything that I could read and find everything that I could find about heaven, I, 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 I don't know where it came from, but there was this interesting thought, a question that I would like to ask everyone in this house this morning of all the great things that you've done, of all the things you've been a part of, of all the places you've gone, the people you've hung out with, what you've seen, what you've done. Let me ask you, what has been the most exciting five minutes 
of your life. 300 seconds. What, what, if I were to take this microphone and hold it in your face and are to ask you, what is the most exciting five minutes of your life? I'm sure I would get all kinds of different answers. Maybe the time you jumped out of an airplane. Uh, maybe the time you rolled, you rode the roller coaster. Maybe when you went to Disney World. Or maybe when you bungee jumped. Um, and your mind can go wherever it wants. The five greatest minutes of your life. I personally believe the five greatest minutes of your life were the first five minutes after you were born. You're in a tomb, surrounded in liquids for nine months. It was tight. It was dark. It was uncomfortable. You didn't really belong there, didn't want to be there, but you were there. And then all of a sudden, you burst out of that tomb. You burst out of that womb. The cord was cut. You experienced light for the first time, life for the first time, family, friends. I know most of you don't remember that. Tough crowd today. Tough, tough, tough crowd today. I'm telling you, I better, I better go back and get the second sermon I prepared. The, the most exciting five minutes that you have ever lived is that five minutes after birth when you, when you realize that you're alive and you're a part and all the things that go with that. Let me ask you another question. What will be in life to come? What will be the most exciting five minutes of your life? We've already ex- experienced the five most, and now we're looking at another window. What in your life coming up will be the greatest five minutes of your life? And I know that you guys are kind of looking around, seeing if there's a clue, seeing if there's I personally believe the greatest five minutes of your life will be the, the first five minutes after death. After death. Wow. What a moment. What a window. What an opportunity. There are several candid reports of those that have died. They were officially declared dead, dead for several minutes, and then they came back to life. I believe that Rebecca Springer wrote a book where she was dead several minutes, and then she came back to life and began to share her story. I believe that Robert Lairdon had a very uh, young encounter with heaven and different ones that talk about heaven and uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 says this, It is written, eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither, neither entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them. And we think about that. We think about, actually, there's a, there's a door here that we're going to go through either by the way of the rapture or by the way of the tomb. A uh, Sunday school teacher was talking about heaven to her kindergarten class, and she was talking about, how great and how wonderful it was and all the things that were going to be there and just the blessings. And then she asked the class, how many want to go to heaven? Everyone, with the exception of Johnny, lifted their hand high in the air. She noticed his hand was not lifted, and he, she said, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? She said, he said, oh, yes, ma'am, I do. Well, Johnny, you didn't lift your hand. And he said, well, I thought you were taking a load right now. <laughs> and I think all of us... All of us, in, in some degree or fashion or form, are a little bit intimidated and maybe even a little bit terrified about tasting death because that's a place that we have not been. We see it all around us. Sometimes it happens real close at home. Sometimes it happens at a distance. 
But the word of God says that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, that we're like a ship that passeth in the night, a vapor of smoke that goes up and dissipates, that our life as we know it, when you begin to look at the life that God has planned for us, our life, if you took the entire window of our life, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it wouldn't even be the cover page to the life that God has for you, is planning for you, and every chapter that God writes about you is a new chapter, more exciting, more invigorating, more awesome than the previous chapter. Does that excite anybody in this house? Jesus, knowing he was headed to die, knew the disciples would have an attitude, made this statement. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He made that statement 2,000 years years ago. I have done the math. He is in heaven right now preparing a place for us, not just a a place to dwell, but eternal life of things that we're going to be doing, things we're going to be involved in. I don't believe we can even grasp that itinerary that God has for us, but I marvel at some of the things that I have seen. I've not seen all the greatest wonders of the world, but I I have seen Niagara Falls, uh, Texan went to Niagara Falls and was looking at the display of millions of gallons per second coming over those falls. And there was a New Yorker there that said to the Texans, said, hey, Tex, I'll bet you don't have anything like that in Texas. He said, well, no, but I know a plumber that can fix that leak in 10 minutes. <laughs> now, if I got to explain the punchline and, and, and come down there and laugh with you, this is going to take twice as long as, as I had prepared, but I've, I have, um, the Grand Canyon just blows me away. The meteor crater just blows me away. The painted desert where if you've ever been to New Mexico, Albuquerque, or, or Santa Rosa, or anywhere on Route 66, it's like God took a paintbrush and swiped the bottom and took another color and swiped the middle, took another color, and it, it looks like the mountains are hand-painted. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of seeing a 30-foot wave on the shore of Waikiki Beach. I don't know if you've ever snorkeled the reef. I don't know if you've ever gone into the heavenlies and you've seen the cloud formations and all the things. But when you think about all that God did in six days, and the Bible says on the seventh day he rested. When you look at the calendar of God or the watch of God, God's time, God's ways, God's thoughts are not our time, our thoughts, our ways. But because of Christ and our relationship with Christ, we can know the thoughts of God. We can know the calendar of God. We can know the ways of God because we are joint heirs and we're in covenant with Jesus Christ. He said this, let this mind, Hannah, be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So the same mind that spoke the worlds into existence, the same mind that was in the presence of God and knows that all that God has for us, God said that we have that by the renewing of our mind, by a transformation as we begin to focus on our purpose and our destiny and the things that we're supposed to be doing on earth. It's like God brings heaven to where we are, and slowly but surely, it's like we look through a glass darkly. I don't know if you've ever looked through something that was so tinted you couldn't see anything on the outside, and then when you got real close and put your eyes up to the glass and looked in, 
you can make out some forms, you can make out some images, but it really wasn't clear. So that's how we display heaven now. Even though the Bible says a lot about heaven, it is a place of mystery. It's a place of romance. It's a place of destiny. It's a place of favor. And when you do what God has called you to do and be what God has called you to be here on this earth, the Bible says the Lord is preparing a place for you. Now, I don't know if there's golf in heaven. I don't know if there's fishing in heaven. I don't know if there's softball in heaven. I don't know about clouds and harps and floating, but I don't believe that we will be floating around clouds all of eternity. But I believe there will be a purpose, a destiny, agenda that God will have for us that we'll be able to do phenomenal, incredible things. And when you think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, that eye is not seen nor ear heard, your most vivid imagination, or let me go to Hollywood, and look at Star Wars and, and, and look at Land Before Time and look, look at some of, the, some of the, how they've tapped into Robin Williams, uh, what dreams may come. When you look at man to try to portray heaven or try to portray hell, you, can, you catch a glimpse, but it's not, it's not clear. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's there, but it's not there. Does that make sense? And so that's the mystery of godliness. That's, that's the place that we live that there is a heaven to gain, there is a hell to shun, and that Jesus has been gone. Are you ready? Six days he did the earth and all of that and the firmament and all the stars and all that stuff. In six days he has been gone 730,000 days preparing a place for you and I. Maybe that's why Paul said, I, it's, too, it's too phenomenal, it's too sensational. I can't even comment, and, and Paul didn't. Paul gave no revelation about heaven other than he was pressing towards the mark. He was on a path that was leading him to God, and there was going to come a day when he would get so close to the purpose and plan of God that God would rapture him out and place him in his kingdom, and there Paul would dwell forever. But he didn't take a lot of time to spend a lot of, a lot, a lot of time about heaven. But John the Beloved did. John the Beloved, as we shared last week, was a friend of Jesus, was responsible for taking care of the mother of Jesus after Jesus died. John lived to be almost 90 years of age. He wrote five books in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three letters, and then he, he wrote the book of Revelation. Wrote, is that five, three, four, four, four books? I'm, no, five books, three letters, one gospel, and the book of Revelation. John writes five books of the Bible on an island in Patmos, and God actually brings him up to where God is at, and God allows him to have not a bird's eye view, but an eagle view of everything that was going to take place and everything that was going to transpire. And one of the things that I, I want to, uh, and I'll, I, I believe I have time to do this, we have talked a lot about preparation. We've talked a lot about signs of the time. We've talked a lot about things that had to take place. But there's a story in Luke, the 10th chapter, and you don't have to go there. It's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And I have, through the years, had a lot of fun with this passage of Scripture because of the signs and, and the, the types and shadows that are found in the story. Here's the story. A man, the Bible says there was a certain man, so this man really did live. It's not a parable. And I've always let the man be Adam, Pastor Todd, Adam. The Bible says a certain man left Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place of peace, the Garden of Eden, into Jericho. Jericho, it means the place of the world, confusion and bondage. A certain man left the presence of God, the Garden of Eden, and went to Jericho. And while he was headed towards Jericho, he was accosted by a band 
of thieves. They stole his garment. They stole everything they had, and they beat him, leaving him half dead. Now, how can you be half dead? You can be alive physically but be dead spiritually. Is it, do I have a friend in the house that can relate? I know what it's like sometimes for my mind. There was not a window when I was focused on the things of God. There was a window when I didn't care what God's word had to say. I didn't care about heaven. I didn't care about, I didn't care about any of that. That was the stupid years of my life. But I was not focusing on the spiritual thing. The spiritual man on the inside of me was dormant. He was dead. He was not stirring. But then the message of the gospel where Jesus came and died for me rocked my world, and then a seed on the inside of me was birthed, and my spiritual man started living. But Adam was left half dead. God told Adam, in the day you eat of this, you shall surely die. God's days were a 1,000 years. Adam lived to be over 900 years, but he did not live to be a 1,000. So he, he began to die the moment he ate the fruit that was not for them to eat. So he fell among thieves. We know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see the parallel in this Bible of this, of this story of the return of the Lord? So he takes him. He binds up his wounds. He pours oil and wine. He puts him on his own donkey and takes him to an inn. And then he tells, in the end, I believe, I, I believe that, that what carried the man, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. I believe that we are the innkeepers. I believe the church, we're here to nourish and to help and to support he, told the, he gave the innkeeper two pence, and he said, I'll come back, and if you spent more than that, when I come back, I will repay thee. But what you don't know, which is so powerful in this story, a pence was room and board for one day. He gave the innkeeper two pence, enough room and board for two days. A day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. Jesus has been gone exactly two days on his calendar, two days. So we've got the six days of creation. We've got the six days that we've lived upon this, this earth. And the last day, the thousand year, the last day of God will be the millennium where we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Satan will be cast, falling into the lake of fire. And at the end of that millennium, the enemy will resurrect an army and actually try to come against the things of God. And on that day, look at somebody and say, on that day, Sin will be forever dealt with. Crime will be forever dealt with. Satan and his followers will be forever dealt with. And from that day forward, the lion will lay down with the lamb, and we will study war no more. Does that excite anybody in this house that we are going to be a part of that last day, that millennium, that, thou, that thousand? When I, talk about, when I talk about heaven, and as we look at the things, and I will, I will hurry. I have 11 minutes. When you look at the things of heaven, before you talk about the things that are there, let me give you a list of things you won't find in heaven. You won't find death in heaven. There'll be no pain. There'll be no sight problems, no glasses, no cataracts, no contact lenses, no fear, no apprehension, no worries, no night, no cancer, no Alzheimer's, no heart problems for the youth, no pimples. Us that are older, no warts, no wrinkles, I'll add that, no malice, no prejudice, no blisters, no war, no curse, no hate, no tears. Maybe that's why the song says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. 
when I look upon his face, the one that saved me by his grace. And he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. What, what a five-minute window that's going to last another five minutes and another five minutes and another five minutes through all of eternity. We will marvel at that day. When you talk about heaven, the Bible tells us that there are 12 gates, three in the north, three in the south, three in the east, three in the west. They're always open. There's no need for any defense because there'll be no war, no enemies of God. The gates of the city are pearl. When I look at the dimensions of the city, I marvel at a pearl because most of you know that a pearl comes from an oyster. And Pastor Todd, I cannot imagine what oyster produced the 12 pearls that are the gates of a city. How incredible. The Bible says that we will walk not on just streets of gold, but transparent gold, pure gold. Twelve foundations of the city, all of the, all of the stones that were in the, the, the ephod of the high priest, the, 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 the vest that he wore before he went in the presence of God, those eight stones with four more be the foundations of the city. Something crazy about this city. The Bible says it's 1,500 miles long that as far as memphis tennessee is from los angeles california is 1500 miles wide that's as far as portland maine to orlando florida and it's 1500 miles high that's as far as new york to london what an incredible 230 million square miles, 230 million square miles. What a place it's going to be. I, I cannot, again, as we begin to look at some of the things that are in heaven, the Bible says in Revelation 22 and 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. In the midst of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare 12 men or fruits, the leaves of the tree. Watch this or for the healing of the nations. And I will leave you with this thought. And I've shared this with you before. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. I told my dad that some of my dear friends weren't here last Sunday when I preached on the trumpets and the vials and the seals. And he said, preach it again. I said, no, dad, you can't do that. You can't, you can't. But I thought about it. It was, a, it was those that missed. Maybe they'll get the CD the ones who didn't raise your hand, you can raise your hand and buy someone else's set, and they can get them to the ones that, that wasn't here. But when I, think about, when I think about life as we know it, everything about our body reproduces. If I could possibly explain to you the white corpuscles and the red corpuscles and the millions of cells that every twinkle, every second multiply, multiply. When you look at your hair, it falls out. It grows back. You look at your eyebrows, your mustache. You look at the, the, the hair will grow. When you get sunburn, your sun peels and there's new sun. Your body was created to never die. Scientists cannot explain the aging process. They cannot explain why we start getting wrinkles and why we start getting arthritis and why we start getting weary and why our, our heart begins to fail and, while, and most of you know that you all have cancerous cells in your body that lay dormant, but sometimes those cancerous cells will come to life, and, and we, can't, we can't understand that. We can't, we can't explain cancer. We can't explain why the heart fails. We can't explain Alzheimer's. This, this brain that we have completely saturated in, in fluid, all the, 
all the things that God put there so we could have a, a clear mind. It, it, should, it should never age. It should never die. We should never grow old. This is my personal opinion. There is a missing ingredient. There's a missing element. There's a missing vitamin. There's a missing enzyme. There's something that our body does not have that we had when God created Adam and Eve. And I personally believe, again, the Bible says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We're in heaven. We're the study war no more. The lion lays down with the lamb. Why would there be a need for healing? Why would there be an attachment to a tree? Why would it be called the tree of life? I believe not only are we forever going to be connected to heaven, no matter what galaxies we pursue, no matter what lands that we find, no matter what we do, where we go, I believe that it will be necessary every once in a while for us to sit down by that crystal river, put our feet in the water, and eat from the tr- eat from the truth eat from the tree that comes eat from the fruit that comes from that tree every month a different manner of fruit. And so with that in mind, before the summer's summer's over, I'm gonna try to make twelve different manners of homemade ice cream. We got the blueberry, we got the peach, we got the apricot, we got the mango. Uh, I'm, we got the banana. I'm, I'm close. I think I'm going to make blueberry this Wednesday night. I don't know. How many would like blueberry ice cream? Does that sound boring or might, might be tough? So the three of you, maybe I'll make two batches, one for you and one for the rest of us that are normal. But the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Will we forever have to eat of that fruit? What would have happened if Adam, instead of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, had eaten from the tree of life? He would have lived a thousand years a day, he'd, and he'd have lived another thousand had he ate again. That didn't cost anything. I just wanted to leave that out there, and uh, you can think about all of that. And if it's false religion, I'm sure somebody will Twitter me or Facebook me or something. Let me share the words of this precious, precious song that Pastor Ron went to great difficulty. Anytime you go on the Internet, you're going through great difficulty as far as I'm concerned, as I am so lost. I am so a country where no twilight shadows deepen. An ending day where night will never be. A city where no storm clouds ever gather. Now this is just what heaven means to me. What will it be when we get over yonder? And join the throng upon the glassy sea to greet our loved ones and crown Christ forever. Oh, this is just what heaven means to me. And when at last, we see the face of Jesus before whose image other loves flee. And when they crown him, Lord of all the ages, oh, this is just what heaven means to me. Bear with me in the third verse. A place where there will be no misunderstanding, and from all enmity and strife we're free. No unkind words to wrong the hearts are spoken. Now this is just what heaven means to me. What will it be when we get over yonder and join the throng across the glassy sea? And when we crown him Lord of Lords forever, this is just what heaven 
means to me. I don't know all about streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. I don't know about a city that Chris is a perfect cube, 15 by 15 by 15. I don't know all about that, but I do know I wouldn't miss it for the world. Is every it is bowed as every eye is closed. If you're here this morning, the Apostle Paul said that we we can actually make a reserva- reservation for heaven. Peter said there's a place reserved for us. Past week, Pastor Ron had to call a motel and make reservations. Yesterday, we went through some airfare. We have to call and make a reservation. The Bible clearly states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The only way to secure a reservation to heaven is not by works or alms or finances or good deeds, but it's by knowing that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And he's the Lord of every area of your life and that you've confessed your sins and do so daily and acknowledge him in your heart to live forever. He closes with this statement, behold, I stand at the door and knock. The spirit says, come, the church says, come, let everyone that hath breath come. He knocks on our heart's door. We can ignore the knock. We can go on with life refusing to acknowledge the pull, the call, the blessing. Or this morning we can open a door and ask him to come into our heart and ask him to live there and dwell with us and prepare us for eternity. If you're here this morning and you don't think you've got a reservation, you're not sure about your plans for eternity, and you've really not made any plans, but this morning you realize that you are without God or a son, and you'd like to make a place in your life, a place in your heart for God to live. If that's where you're at this morning, if you just put your hand up, put it right back down. Is there one? We want to wait because this is a very special moment that we don't want to rush through. Then we believe this morning that all of us here are born again, and we're ready to meet the Lord in the air. If that's where you're at this morning, can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise, a shout of praise, wave at him, declare unto him. I was trying to.